Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the New Life Church Rewind Podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. Hey, everybody. And we just want to welcome you today to uh, the first part of a new series that we're getting into uh, here at New Life Church. And this series is called How to Pray. Yeah. And that seems like it could be on the surface a very basic thing, but it seems like prayer is just one of those things that if you talk to a lot of Christian people, man, they struggle with it. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. Some people love to pray. Some people, they don't know how to pray. They don't know what prayer is supposed to look like. So I'm just really excited to get into this series with you, Pastor Dave. So we're going to be doing this for three weeks mm-hmm. on how to pray. So let's talk about the series like from a 20,000-foot okay. view for a second. Why are we talking about prayer, and where did this series come from? Like, why is it so important for God's people to know how to pray? Yeah, I think what we have been trying to do for the year is uh, the theme for the year ever since January has been the foundations of the faith, and we've we've dealt with multiple different series that kind of break down some of the more fun fundamental and foundational parts of our faith. Mm-hmm. And the question is, why? Why are we doing that? Well, I think, you. first off, you can't retread these things enough. We, we always need refreshers. Right. And secondly, like the reason why we're doing this podcast is because in our culture today, biblical literacy is at an all-time low. And I don't think yeah. it hurts. We don't have things like Sunday school anymore, a lot of churches. And, and uh, we have life groups and, and, and things like that. And that's kind of why we're doing this podcast, right? That this exactly. is like a, a more modern yeah. version of maybe like kind of what a Sunday school would be, at least a little bit. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So we have been trying to tackle different issues that may be more fundamental to the Christian faith or foundational to the Christian faith that you know we kind of neglect in some sermon series mm-hmm. sometimes. So what we did, we started out the year with just look, studying through the Ten Commandments, right? The Power of Ten series we did. And then recently we have done uh, How to Read the Bible series. I mean, so we're doing these kind of how-tos. And this one is how to pray because of what you said earlier. People, it doesn't matter if you're new to the faith or you've been in the, in the faith, in Christianity a long time, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, talk, whether it be right or wrong, around what it looks like to pray. How, how do you do it? What is to be expected when you do it? Do you have to be in a certain posture? Do you have to say certain words? Yeah. So we're just trying to tackle it from a foundational standpoint. And like I said, it's only a three-week series. You could spend months on the topic of prayer, but this is a foundational series. And one thing I like about what the church is doing, the commitment to going to the foundations this year is, you know me, me and you, we love sports. Yeah. And I'm a big, but my favorite sport is football. Mm-hmm. And man, the middle of August, it's training camp. Yeah. And these guys are in training camp and you watch these videos. These guys are all pros. Mm-hmm. But for the first couple weeks of August, they're still doing the same drills that kids do in eighth grade. Yeah. And I, and I think that really compares to the Christian life yeah. that we, we can't talk about even these things that are supposed to be fun, like foundational Absolutely. to even seasoned Christians, because there's always time to just keep those repetitions going. Yep, so that's that's the reason. 
So what's the big idea of the first part of how to pray? Okay, so the title of the message is The Template. And the big idea was Jesus teaches a template for prayer to his disciples that places prayer in the context of relationship with our Heavenly Father. So what is this template? So we we decided, uh, well, we, I, <laughs> in studying this, uh, I went to different prayers and did some research on it. And the consensus is that the most foundational prayer that Jesus taught his disciples was the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father, so yep. and, and other uh, d- denominations or, or d- disciplines of Christianity, they call it the Our Father, right? right? So, um, but if you look at the the Lord's Prayer, you actually find, and and I didn't come up with this on my own. I did some research. You find sure. um, seven different topics of prayer, seven different uh, ways to pray or things about this. So we look at this and we can call it a template because if you break it down into seven different prayers, you can see how someone like Jesus who had a discipline of regular prayer right. could spend all night praying. Right. And so when Jesus presents us with the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. in the Scriptures, he doesn't directly say, here's how you should pray, here is this template you should right. use, but he kind of hints at it a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. He said, well, he says in, in uh, Luke chapter 11, he says, uh, when you pray, say this. Okay? Okay. And so he's, he's saying, these are the things you should be praying about. This is the posture. Now, uh, I believe that the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, is a beautiful prayer in and of itself. Sure. And it's probably the most oh, famous yeah. Christian prayer. Absolutely. And uh, it's beautiful to recite. But if you ca- if you cross reference scripture with scripture, you find out that Jesus does not endorse the continual repetition of prayers. Right, he actually kind of chastises that yeah. element of Jewish culture that right that that prayer. And I'll just speak for myself. Um, repetitive prayer. Mm-hmm. I might get in trouble saying this, but <laughs> just this rote. It reminds me of like transcendental meditation. Yeah. It kind of seems, it just reeks of a little bit of paganism to me that if you just right. kind of like, you pray yourself into almost like a, I don't want to talk bad about people who meditative say it, state. a meditative state. Yeah. And, um, it's, Which has its value in some in some areas. Sure, but it seems like you lose a little you. bit of communion with God in that way. Right. And as we're talking about this, we, we are seeing how Jesus, if you look you know, back at the big idea, um, the prayer is to be using context of relationship with your heavenly Father, uh, you wouldn't repetitively ask your human Father in this. You know what I'm saying? It, it just doesn't. It's supposed to be so. I believe. I believe, and I agree with a lot of other scholars who okay. would say that the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful prayer to be prayed on its own. But if you compare Scripture with Scripture, it's more than that. It, it Jesus wants you to use this as an opportunity to go further with it. It's almost like a jumping-off point, Absolutely. if you will. I kind of liken it to just as I was processing what you were um, you were teaching on Sunday. Another word that came into my mind is like a trellis. Mm. It's it's almost like a like structure that, that yep. your prayer life grows upon. Mm. But that's why it's so important to have because these right. if you don't have the structure, mm-hmm. and you know we recite it at men's prayer. Mm-hmm. We have a men's prayer group at New Life Church, and mm-hmm. you know we use that as the jumping off point yep. before we get into more. Uh, different kinds of prayer. So I, yeah. I think that's a... It's beautiful. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a perfect prayer, but mm-hmm. it is a template. Yep. 
So at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, at the beginning of the template, mm-hmm. um, we talk about our Father who is in heaven. Mm-hmm. But this is a change from traditional Jewish culture. Yes. How they would start a prayer with something that sounded more like, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Mm-hmm. But now when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, no, approach God like he's your Father, not like he's mm-hmm. your like a sovereign that rules over you. Right. So I want to ask you, Jesus is God, and mm-hmm. he's changing the way that you should address God. Right. But is he lowering himself kind of down to our level mm-hmm. to make himself more approach, approachable mm-hmm. by saying, no, not that king stuff. You know, it's like your mm-hmm. friend's dad at a certain point says, no more of that Mr. Sangster. Mm-hmm. Call me Dave, yeah. right? Yeah. That's kind of how I interpreted that. Or is he reminding us that he's elevating us to his level, saying, like, remember, you guys were created to be more than just animals. Like, mm-hmm. you are the special pearl of creation. Yes. Or is it kind of a bit of both? Well, I do, th- you know, that seems like a cheapened answer, but I do think it's a little bit of both. Well, let me explain. So, remember that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament law. Okay, Jesus mm-hmm. came to, uh, not to abolish the law, not to take away from the reality of Old Testament truth, but to fulfill it. So when we have a Jewish understanding, so uh, they they would pray for everything, their food, their all these types of things, and they would say, "Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, or, or uh, ruler of the universe, mm-hmm. who brings forth the grain of the ground, things, things like that." So that's still true, right? So Jesus comes along, and he says, uh, "No, I want you to refer to him as Abba." Now, that's a shift, but it's also important to, to realize who's bringing the shift. The one who has come to make us right with God, to give us a closer relationship, to, to break down that wall of separation. Before Christ, this Abba, this, this familial and casual—I wouldn't even say casual—but this casual relationship was not possible. So before Christ, mm-hmm. was that Jewish very respectful, very um, fear—not fearful, but very—you uh, know—that tone that was set. Mm-hmm. Was it actually appropriate then? Mm-hmm. And now, it's not so much. Like, were they actually were they in the wrong, or did it it did it actually change? I don't think they were in the wrong. I think uh, God is the same. He didn't change. I think our position, uh, our position, our um, access to God changes. We are no longer, you know, separated by sin. Therefore, we can come. What does the Bible say? Come boldly to the throne of grace. That's different. Yeah, that's different. There's not that that curtain of separation where one priest can go in once a year for atonement. We can go boldly into the throne of grace and have access to God Himself. This is how He always wanted it to be. We ruined that, and Jesus restored it. Right. It's a restoration. It's, a it's restoration. not like a change. It's more right. of a uh, taking the. Yeah. I think you use the word sometimes like the patina off of something, yeah. and it's Beautiful. it's making it more. So I think that's why it's so it's so incredible. The shift is so incredible because the power of "Blessed art thou, Lord or God, King of the Universe" has not changed at all. And I mean, that's so true. Yeah. What a powerful, what a powerful understanding of who God really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if. You know, the world would probably be a better place if more people had that kind of respect right. for, for God. But at the same time, it does make him unapproachable. And that's what that Abba word means. I mean, I think we take it from in a, in a you know, 
evangelical, um, charismatic way, we can take this to the wrong level. You know, he's not, God is not your homeboy. You know, he's not the man upstairs. He is the king of the universe. Have you heard this, um, you know, you know, you can't, the internet isn't always real life, but this like daddy God. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, no, thank you. That, that, um, but he is, but it misses the point of the Abba term, right? Right. The Abba term was the first word a Jewish child would say. Typically this really it's data. Mm-hmm. It's not even daddy. It's data. Yeah. But but the difference between how we look at that word and how the Jewish culture looked at that word is that was it was turned into a term of respect and endearment for only one person who could be that to you. So it was used as an adult to, to refer to this uh, very important person in your life. So there was a, it's not just daddy, like we would say daddy, like it's kind of flippant and cute, but yeah. it's, it's actually this, this term of great respect and endearment. And uh, we kind of lose that in our own, you know, Jesus is our daddy. That, that's not, that's not the same thing. Yeah. I, I agree with that. That um, we take it too far. We, we take that too far. Yeah. So let's move on to um, give us this day, our daily bread. Mm-hmm. So this is part of the Lord's prayer. Yeah. And I, I pulled a quote you used from Martin Luther, which I just, I, I found it, um, any chance I get to use one, I will, but <laughs> I, I like this quote, uh, Martin Luther, for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace, that bread was a symbol for these things. Yep. So when we're praying for our daily bread mm-hmm. functionally, like is that the part of our prayer life that is like a like a preservative for us that we we can appreciate goodness in the world? And does that that part of the prayer keep us in a closeness with God, like a close state with him? I I, th- I think so. I think this goes back to the father image. Um Jesus actually talks about it when he talks about what you know, it, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Right. You know, they ask for a, a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. If they ask for bread, you're not going to give them a stone. Right. This is this is this would not work even in a even in a human relationship, even a sinful human relationship. Right. Like kind of like um taking care of your children, mm-hmm. at least like uh physically. Right. Good home, bread. Right. That's actually not that impressive. Right. Like you should be doing that, right? right. If you're not, like, you're going. Yeah, into, you're going to get even. DCF's going to be called. Right. Even like the chimpanzees can do that. Yeah, exactly. Big, big deal. Yeah. But that's not what we we're praying for. Right. We're right. praying for almost the the providence behind the good right. gifts that we get. Right. Uh, uh, first, it, it reminds us to be thankful for what you have. Um, secondly, it it helps us to refocus on where these things actually come from. Uh, you can only do so much. I mean, you you can you know, we can't control all of life, so we we have to rest our our confidence and our security on on God and and trust that He is a Father who gives good gifts and 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 then pass that down to our children as well. You know. So let's talk about bread. Okay. So I have this question I want to ask you. Is praying before a meal mm-hmm. biblical? Let me put it another way. You know, it, good Christian people, they sit down for their supper mm-hmm. and they say grace. Mm-hmm. Is that a good prayer? 
is it biblical? Because I've tossed this around that <laughs> there's a part of me that wonders because you can't really find saying grace, at least the way we normally do it mm. in the Bible. It's hard for me to find it. Yeah. What say you? So, yeah. So there's a funny skit uh, joke by this Christian comedian, Tim Hawkins. He talks about Christians who who bless their food, right? So especially in the West, right? You take a bag of Doritos and God bless this, this food, food, make it healthy to my body, change the, you know, the chemical comp, make it something that's going to, he's like, yeah, now let's eat this Big Mac right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of silly. So, so, uh, I, when we understand the, uh, the origins of praying for our meals, it okay. actually goes back to Jewish tradition. Okay. So again, we're going to evoke that same prayer. The Jewish people would pray these things over, over bread, over wine, over over the uh, fruit of the ground, over vegetables, and it would go something like this. So this would be a, a prayer over the bread. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So when in their understanding of saying a, a prayer over a meal was a prayer of thanksgiving not a prayer of blessing the food you're eating what you got yes you're you're if you're gonna eat a big mac enjoy it it's a blessing that you have the ability to buy that big mac but don't you know god's not going to change the chemical makeup of that big mac to make it healthy to your body you eat too many big macs you're gonna be in trouble but to pray to thank god that we're not starving to thank god that he's provided to thank god for the natural world um that provides fruit and grain and bread and meat and these types of things to be thankful is a very appropriate thing for Christians to do. And when you were, when you uh, just read that Jewish prayer, mm-hmm. there's also an appreciation for like the ancestors in it. Yeah, that it's not only what God has done for you; it's mm-hmm. what God has done for the like the people that that come before you. So it's yeah. almost not really about the the food that's on the plate, right? But it's about. Um, I don't know, like what, what, just everything that God has done for you, yeah. your family, and his people. Yeah, I remember my, my parents, like, <laughs> you know, you better eat that on your plate. You know, there's kids in Africa who are starving. starving. I'm like, I don't know, send it to them. <laughs> <I don't want> it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but the yeah. idea is like, that. that's true. I mean, we, we are so blessed. Any chance that we get to take a moment, even if it's just before a meal, and legitimately think about it. Don't do it as a rote thing. Like again, a recited prayer, right? A because yeah, sometimes, repert- you're, sometimes you're like, oh, I just got to blow through. Yeah. Amen. Let's eat. Yeah. And to acknowledge God at any point in our time during the day as a as a means of thanksgiving and pointing our our reality back to His providence. That's a good thing. I, I would I would encourage everybody to do it. But we have, as a family, my wife and I, and the kids. The kids actually brought it up to me. They're like, they're like, Dad, should we be playing praying for like these chicken nuggets? <laughs> so we change it. We do not pray for God to bless the food. So what does a, if you don't mind sharing, like what 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 does a grace prayer, if if that's even what we should call it, yeah. What what could you give us like a cliff notes? Like what what does it look like? Yeah, we 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 sit down. And even in restaurants, we do this because we think it's also good testimony, right? Sure. Some people do it. So even in restaurants, we say, you know, thank you, God, for this opportunity we have as a family to be around this table today. Thank you for this food that you've provided. Amen. We, we just keep it real simple. Just, just an acknowledgement. It's basically, blessed are you, Lord, our God, 
king of the universe for bringing the bread from the ground. We are thankful for it. It's about God and not the food. Yeah. If, 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 we, every once in a while, we'll throw in and bless it to our bodies because we've been saying it for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the kids will look at me, Dad. <laughs> yeah, to keep you honest. Yeah. Because I will say, um, the the people in the first century, like what the pagans used to do with their food. Mm-hmm. There is that. That's the reason why I asked the question in the first place was because, you know, a lot of these, and there were different pagan cultures, but the, their relationship with food mm-hmm. was so integrated into their worship right. of these false idols. Absolutely. That, um, I was just curious about because I've, I've tossed this around in my head. I've gone back and forth, back and forth. Like yeah. every once in a while, you kind of see like this seems kind of pagan. Yeah, but. But plus I'm, our food, plus my Cheetos. But I'm I'm glad you gave us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we actually do that in our house and some, it's some context. Of the kids. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. good. So now on to another. I guess speaking of paganism, <laughs> we talked about the genie lamp. The genie lamp. The genie lamp, and how we've talked about this before in the church and maybe on the podcast, but we have this bad habit of, of people mm-hmm. of putting God in a box mm-hmm. or putting him in a, a proverbial genie lamp. Mm-hmm. And so that when we pray, what, we're, what we really think we're doing is we're just getting one of our three wishes, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, or how many you get. So how do we, if you could give us a little bit of help, mm-hmm. how do we toe the line yep. between praying for something that's obviously a good thing to pray for, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it does kind of require us to ask. So here's an example. Mm -hmm. If I tuck my daughter in at night and Mm -hmm. I I hold her right before I put her in a crib and I say, Lord, you know, please protect my family Mm -hmm. from, from wicked forces or from anything out Mm -hmm. there. Is that kind of like rubbing the genie lamp or am I in a good spot? Because in a way I'm wishing for something. Mm -hmm. So where, where, how do we, toe that line between treating God like a genie, but also praying for something that we know is good to pray for. Like, can we get lost in the middle somewhere? Should we worry about it? Um, So I don't think many Christians intentionally do this. I think we do it out of just ignorance. We do it out of desperation. I don't think Christians are sitting around saying, you know, and I and I've used this a bunch, and I want to just clear the record here on my own statements. Yes, that I don't think Christians are going around intentionally looking at God it, as a genie. And neither do I. We're just no, kinda, I know, kind of like. But I've said it, it as a, I've said it multiple times. Uh-huh. So I, I just want to clear. It's not you. It's me. I, I've said it multiple times, and I, I just don't. But we've gotten to this practice where, like, seventy-five percent of our prayer life is asking for things, right? So. We got to be careful because when we look at the Lord's Prayer, it's it's not seventy five percent. It's it's one seventh. It's one seventh, right? So anyway, back to your question. Um, when we, I believe that human beings were created to work in partnership with God. We were put in the garden to subdue the earth, to work the ground, to be uh, to be stewards, to be. Um, protectors of their family and things like that. I think when we pray things that are in accordance with God's will and the purpose for which we were created, Mm -hmm. um, we can pray with confidence that God hears. Okay. I don't think that's a bad prayer. I do think we tend to use prayer as a talisman. 
So let me unpack that for a second. First of all, for the people, what is a talisman? A talisman is like a magical object that you you hold on to and it's supposed to give you good luck or good fortune or whatever. It's almost like that river otter with that little rock they hold on to. You ever seen this <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. won't they won't let it go. Yeah. So we we can tend to use prayer in a very pagan way as far as like so um if you are getting into a rote um prayer life for your kid mm-hmm. and you're just praying a a magical talisman type prayer over them that I think it's important to, to rethink that because what do we what do we define prayer as? Prayer is a, is is you talking to God and God talking to you. It's it's this relational thing. It's a conversation, right. not a telegram. Right. It's not it's not a magic uh, spell that you've placed over your kid as you put them to bed at night. That's going to keep them. Yes. It's it's a it's a agreement with the God of the universe that I want to care for my kid like you care for me. Lord, bless my child. There are so many scriptures about a father placing blessings over their kids in prayer. So yeah. I think that's very biblical. Um, but we have to be careful that we don't fall into the paganization of Christian doctrine, Christian theology. And that can be part of it. I, I fall into the, sometimes my, when, especially over meals, over praying for my kids, you end up saying the same things over and over, over and over again. But at the same time, sometimes but what is there's the heart nothing of left it? to say. Right, but what is the heart of it? Yes. Is it is it is it to to cover them with some kind of magic, or even if you're not thinking that, but you're just kind of going through the motions, or is it to, to lift them up before God? And here's the partnership part. If you were to pray to God, bless your daughter, and then completely neglected her, that that prayer is completely moot from a point of you doing your job as a godly father who's taking I think I think we can't pray over over our kids and then abuse them and think that they're gonna you know God's gonna honor your prayer right. particularly if the person praying it already possesses a certain number of qualities that they can use to to protect their children for right. example like they can earn a living they can right. Maybe they knew jujitsu or whatever. You know, they can they can do things. It's our responsibility. Our our responsibility. God has handed that responsibility um, to us to take care of our families. It reminds me. Um, is actually a pretty good joke I heard. I'll try to tell it as fast as I can. There's a <laughs> yes, there's, there's a, a a guy on a boat in the ship the shipwreck, mm-hmm. and he's hanging on to a plank, mm-hmm. and he's praying to God that he would send a boat mm-hmm. to come save him, mm-hmm. and like you know. Uh, a bigger piece of driftwood comes by. He doesn't get on it. Mm-hmm. A guy in a kayak comes by, mm-hmm. and then he drowns. And mm-hmm. he goes up to see St. Peter, the pearly mm-hmm. gates, and he's like, you know, God, I was praying for the boat to come. And he's like, didn't you see the, mm-hmm. you know, didn't you see the driftwood? Didn't you see? Yeah. And I kind of butchered the joke, but. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah, like sometimes we have this um, very idealistic way God should, and I think that's kind of what gets into the genie lamp is that it's not so much what we ask for. Mm-hmm but that we expect the prayer to be answered exactly the way we conceive, we it. conceive of it. And that's really... And, without, and without, our in, without our action. We're phoning it in, basically. Right. You got to do... Because you, you, yep. if, if prayer We're is a conversation yep. that requires... And then the solution is in the, in the real. Mm-hmm. You got to do something, too, sometimes. Right. Right. I agree. I'm just, that, that's kind of where we're going with that. Okay. So let's go to the last part of the podcast. And this is kind of... Um, for some of us, this is kind of an icky word. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about confession. Mm. 
And so you talked about the value of confession in our prayer lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is, I would say probably from, for a lot of people, particularly in the, the Protestant side of the aisle, confession is probably, it might be the hardest of the seven mm-hmm. pieces. Yeah. And God already knows what we did wrong. Mm-hmm. He knows, I mean, he knew our sin from the foundation, of the, right? So he right. knows what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. But I just want to read a passage um, from James. And I just want to get a little context from you because like you might come across a passage like this and then it might, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So it says, uh, this is from James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Mm-hmm. And so in the sermon, we talked about how confession is so good mm-hmm. and it, it lightens the, it's, it's for, it's for you. Mm-hmm. So when we read a scripture like this, is it, do we have to confess verbally to other people? Mm-hmm. Like, are there like different tiers of, yeah. of, of a good confession mm-hmm. or are they, is just a confession in your quiet prayer time? Is it just as equal, just as good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, when we are looking at the Lord's Prayer in context to what the, the scripture you read, we're talking about, you know, chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verse 4, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have are indebted to us, right? Mm-hmm. So this concept of acknowledging your sin. And so when we come to the, the, the passage in James, James is talking about the relationship between works and faith, Okay, and how the church should interact with one another as 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 believers. Okay, so James is saying uh, kind of what Jesus was talking about in his his discussion. He said if you find yourself going to the altar to, to give a sacrifice, and you realize in your heart that you have an ought or a problem with somebody, leave your leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go find that person, make it right, and then come back and sacrifice. Because uh, we, because religious practice, religious practice, is uh, is nothing unless we're actually living the faith that we believe in out. That's what James is trying to get at. He's saying, you know, you, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He's saying we can often in the church um, get to the place where we're doing all the the religious stuff but we're neglecting our, our brothers and sisters. So what James is saying is here, confess your sins. When, if you have a problem with somebody, if you've, if you've had a conflict with somebody, go and confess your, your, your problem with that before you do the religious work of praying. He says when you, when you are clean, when you're, when you're whole, your prayer life is going to be much more full. So I believe confession is, is one of the places we as Protestants— um, kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. So how do we do it better? I, I believe that first off in a, uh, a relationship with us and God, we should often be, be inventory, doing an inventory of the ways in which we're not, we're not lining up with his word and his way and, 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 and acknowledging those. Because when you acknowledge them in your life and don't just write them off, change happens. 
mm-hmm. you can actually deal with stuff that you actually call out. But if it's just a nebulous sin in your background, you're never going to move past it. Um, I think confession is absolutely vitally important between you and God. You don't need to um, confess sin to a priest or a pastor or a person in order to be right with God, but you may have a problem with somebody, and that's not okay. You need to go make that right with that person for you to be able to move on. Um, you, we can say there's nothing that Satan wants to do more than keep you stuck and ineffectual for Christ. And confession yeah. clears the deck. Confession clears the deck, makes you clean, makes you light, helps you to move on and and be more and more like Christ. So that's I think confession is vitally important. I just don't know that um, that the form of 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 going to a confessional or thing like that is is necessary. But man. I wouldn't put down somebody who went to somebody and said, listen, I just need to unburden myself, you know, a, a pastor or a, 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 a trusted Christian friend. I need, I, I, I can't, I got to get this off my soul. So do you think, you know, obviously we, we can't truly know what God thinks, but yeah. when I think about this idea of confession mm-hmm. being inserted into the perfect prayer, yeah. the, the, the prayer template, mm-hmm. it almost gives us permission to actually address the, at least as far as the James passage goes, to confess the sin to one another. Mm -hmm. So like if you've gotten, you know, you're having a good prayer life Mm -hmm. and you've inserted the confession of sin into your prayer life, it almost gives you the, I don't know if I want to use the word courage, but the permission now, the, like the strength and the spirit to, Mm -hmm. to maybe now you, you have the ability in a supernatural way to Mm -hmm. go up to, you know, the person you've sinned against or, Mm -hmm. Or, or whatever confession you're going to make, do you think there's anything? Absolutely, no, I agree. I, so I, it's in the prayer first. It's in the prayer first before it becomes physical. And then um, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give us the power to live out the Christian life. So when you are brought, when the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you on an internal basis, because you're spending time actually thinking about it. Um. It starts developing you a responsibility to take care and, and, and to be like Christ and gives you the power to go and deal with it in the real world, not just in the prayer closet. Um, I think it's another thing is very important is when we're talking about confessing our sins in our prayer life, the, the most encouraging and wonderful thing about confessing our, our sin in our prayer life is that they're all taken care of. Before you even say it. When you confess, no matter what it is, the grace of God through the blood of Christ extends to every sin that you've ever had, and you can confess that sin and be confident that he has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. That's a that's a that's a freeing place. And yeah, maybe you maybe you uh, ethically should go talk to somebody about you know uh, how you've had a problem, uh, how you've offended, they've offended you, you've offended them. But seriously, God has done all the work. Really, it's a very empowering place. So, do you have any final thoughts or encouragements uh, moving on to next week from the prayer template, the Our Father? Is there anything left unsaid before we move on to next week? I would say if you um, would like the template in a written form, um, the seven emphasis of prayer that the the Lord's Prayer gives us, um, just email 
rewind at discovernewlife.org, and we will send you out that template to, to pray. We, we, we handed it out on Sunday. Yeah, and it's um perfect shape to kind of throw in probably most Bible. I don't right. mean throw, but put it, maybe put it by your, yeah. your front page or whatever. So if you like that, uh, we, we can get that to you. So just email us. If you, if you like that, we will be glad to email that back to you. And then lastly, what we said at the end of the, last, of the service was this. The best way to learn how to pray is to start praying. Just don't start have to be perfect at praying. Use this template, fumble through it, and just give God an opportunity to minister to you as you pray these types of prayers. You don't have to have all the words. You don't have to have all the these and the thous nailed down. Just pray, because prayer, working definition, is you talking to God and He talking back to you. That, that's that's the working definition. That's what prayer is. And that's where we'll leave it for this week. Great. Um, so, like always, uh, if you enjoyed your time with us, please remember to like, follow, subscribe, give us a five-star review. Also, we love your comments, mm-hmm. and you can leave um, comments on all the podcast platforms, but also, like Pastor Dave said, rewind at discovernewlife.org. And until next week, God bless. Have a good one. Matthew 28.